everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative, storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hello, everyone. It is Brandon back with another Turbo. I hope you have had some wonderful holidays and you're looking down the barrel of this new year with nothing but enthusiasm. I myself have a cat in my lap, and I thought we would discuss a concept. And this concept arises from a conversation you'll hear pretty often, which is about what is the best vascular access to put in a patient who needs large volume resuscitation. A very similar conversation can arise when you're talking about placing lines for uh, vasopressors. Um, But I think especially when you're talking about, let's say, a massive hemorrhage trauma patient, GI bleed, whatever. And you're saying, you know, what line should we put in to optimize our ability to deliver blood and maybe some fluid, but really mostly blood, hopefully, uh, quickly. And some people like to put in central lines, and then someone else always says, well, you know, according to uh, the law of Pusso, you can actually administer uh, fluid through uh, cannula at a higher rate if the cannula is larger in diameter and also shorter. And therefore, maybe a peripheral line is actually a faster, at least as good, but perhaps even a better line for these large volumes. So a traditional ATLS teaching, for instance, you know, two large bore IVs, a lot of people consider that a 16 or better, some medical people say 18 gauge, whatever. This is all very true. Playing those numbers, a short IV, uh, all things being equal, lets you achieve better flows than a longer, you know, inherently central lines are are longer, even relatively short ones, like something like a cordis. Uh, Central lines, even if their diameter is bigger, um, and often their diameter is similar. If you put in something like a triple lumen catheter, usually you're dealing with often like two 18-gauge lumens and maybe one 16, but it's, you know, five, ten times longer than equivalent peripheral IVs. All of that is very true, and you can compare the flow rates on these things and so on and so forth. But I think these kind of analyses miss the point. And the point is one that is generalizable to some other things. And the real point here is that you are not going to go wrong by minute variations in the flow rates you can achieve. And partly this is because there are other ways to make it up, for instance, under pressure. But the most important reason is because if one line takes a few seconds longer to deliver some volume, a few seconds shorter, that's not nearly as important as whether that line remains patent and intravascular and keeps working. So the real key difference between central and peripheral here is not the flow rates. And, you know, assuming you're in a ballpark, again, if you put in a pick line that's super long and small and you, you just no matter what you do, it's pretty slow. That's not really what we're talking about. I'm talking kind of roughly equivalent things. The reason you want the central line is because it's reliable. Reliable is better than optimal. I'll say that again. You are better off, all things being roughly equal, having a device or a process or an approach 
that can't go wrong or is very unlikely to go wrong, even if it is not absolutely perfect compared to another approach, which is slightly more optimized, but less reliable, has a higher chance of complete failure. If you've ever done a truly massive resuscitation, these patients can be hanging right on a knife's edge here. And if your peripheral IV stops working, it slips out, extravasates, you may not appreciate that for some time, a patient could easily die by the time you realize. And if you don't, then now you have to deal with an extremity that now has six liters of fluid in it. Just about anyone has seen this happen who has taken care of a lot of sick patients, and especially if you've done a lot of big resuscitations. And even if you haven't, you've certainly seen a lot of peripheral IVs that come out. It's just something that happens. Veins are tenuous in a lot of people. People get edematous and puffy. Uh, movement occurs. They come out, and you just can't have that in a patient that's that sick. And you can see how this might be extrapolated to something like um, peripheral vasopressors. Can you run pressors peripherally? Sure. Is it safe? Generally, yeah. In the sickest patient, do you want a central line just because they couldn't tolerate that additional insult of one, you know, potential tissue injury if you extravasate, but in particular, just losing the access. If you're on four pressors and for a period of time they're on zero pressors because they're all going into the sub-Q instead of into the veins, that patient may die before you could sort it out. So reliable is the key thing here, and that's what's so important. And it got me thinking that this applies in a lot of other situations. There are a lot of times that you're better off in medicine doing things in a way that is just bulletproof, even if it, it, it kind of could be better. A lot of our systems of care, that is true for. Uh, a lot of things that maybe could be a little faster or a little better in one way, um, but are not quite so unassailable. Um, you don't want that. And that's why you end up with a lot of processes that, I don't know, seem kind of stodgy sometimes. Um, but it's because it's, everything has kind of been thought out to the nth degree to uh, prevent failure. As clinicians, our decision-making, I, I mean, this is sort of a, I wish it weren't true. I wish I'd, I didn't have to say it, but a lot of the times you're, you're better off being the clinician who is not a genius doesn't make the brilliant moves for the bold players. You are boring, trotting, reliable. You, your wheels turn slow, but they turn finely. You don't get that last 10%, uh, however you define that, but you never make an error. You'd be better off being that guy, and you'd overall have better patient outcomes. You're better off being the, like, bread and butter hospitalist who hits every metric, never forgets something, uh, dots every I and crosses every T, compared to being the Dr. House who makes the, the brilliant conclusions, um, but in between is, is spotty, forgetful, kind of a jerk, whatever. I think that, it, you know, nine times out of ten, that is true. In high-stakes environments like the military, people will say sometimes that you don't just want to practice something until you get it right. You want to practice until you can't get it wrong. And while that may seem like just kind of further on a spectrum of excellence, I, I think it's, it's meaningful to distinguish those in your mind. On one hand, you have pushing towards excellence, cutting edge, you know, uh, 
diminishing returns of perfection. But on the other hand, you have kind of the opposite, which is just avoiding error. And some things may improve both sides, but some, some things won't. And I, I think it's just a really unglamorous, uh, but honestly a very true thing to accept that the avoiding error part is probably more important. You can kind of contemplate until you find more examples of this. Uh, I talked to Brian at one point about um, serving on on committees, whether locally or regionally or nationally or whatever, and how it can be really kind of just boring, wheel-turning work. Um, and yet, uh, I, I think a lot of that is because much of what they do is... Uh, it's focused more on safety than progress, and they realize that some of the things they do can have widespread implications, and therefore they want to make absolutely sure that things that are done, whether at their behest or they are the the gatekeepers to allowing other things, are safe. They're okay, and it's more important to make sure that's true, even if it means progress or new things happen slower. You need those safeguards um, because as fun as it would be, you don't want to practice in the system. You don't want to be a patient in the system where it's just like uh, cowboys, you know, erratic geniuses everywhere. Some cool stuff will happen, uh, but no one will remember to do your vital signs for 24 hours. Give this some thought. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you guys later this year. <laughs>